mountain? You just never know, do you, what you're going to encounter. If you're a guest, welcome. Uh, and uh, we do that every Sunday. Uh, hey, we're, we're the second, we're next to the last chapter of the story. Can you believe it? This chronological run through the whole Bible. Today we're going to cover that. And then next week, the last chapter of the story. Uh, this, um, it's about the end of the world. I've peeked ahead. It turns out okay, so don't worry. And, and then the week after that, uh, we'll have kind of a fun recap uh, to put a, a perfect capstone on this whole run-through. And you won't want to miss that. We'll have a bunch of kids involved. It's always a good time. And then the week after that, uh, we'll, we'll do something. We've pulled together um, a special weekend called Spoke and Hub, a great weekend to invite uh, a friend and uh, to uh, think about where we all are in our relationship with God. Um, also, I want to mention to you, uh, it seems like this time of year, a lot of people start thinking about wanting to get baptized. You can get baptized anytime, but we have an outdoor splash planned for June 1, which is Sunday afternoon right out here, and it's a, it, maybe that's the next step that you need to take. And if, you're, if you've not been baptized and you want to follow Jesus, that is the step you need to take. So uh, we're, we'll uh, just let you know about that. It's uh, June, June 1st. Now, uh, also, one other thing to tell you about, some of you, I've noticed as we talked about Paul, this guy from the Bible, Apostle Paul, last week and this week, we've just scratched the surface. There's so much there with this guy, and there's a good opportunity for you. Uh, Ethan is teaching a class uh, on the letters of Paul. might be a good next step for you, for your small group. That's this Friday and Saturday. You can sign up online for that. I wanted to make sure you knew about it. And we, so we're talking about this guy, Paul. I always think of Paul as a guy, you can, you can break down his life in like three different kind of sections or stages. He was a man on fire, wasn't he? If you know anything about Paul, the Apostle Paul, he was a guy who had a fire burning in him. In the first stage of his life, that fire basically burned against Christians. He saw them as a disruptive cult, uh, upstarts that were threatening the status quo, and so he very much is against Christians and trying to persecute them. He's charging up to Damascus one day to kill some more Christians, and uh, the Lord Jesus, the risen Lord, appears to him, knocks him off his high horse, literally blinds him, and says, why are you persecuting me? And it's, an, a, it's a complete life change moment for this guy. And, and he is let into the grace of God, and that so transforms him that he spends the next stage of his life on fire now for Christ. And that's what the missionary journeys are about, where he travels the world over literally just telling his story and telling the good news of Jesus. Now, as we come to today, we're coming to that third stage of Paul's life, and, and now the fire of his days is burning low. He's coming to the end of his life. He knows it. Everybody knows it. He's in a dungeon in Rome, waiting to see Caesar, uh, inevitable execution awaiting him. And though the embers of his days are, is, is burning low, uh, there's still a fire in this old cagey veteran of Christ. And, and this is a guy who begins to think now, as he's getting ready to leave the scene, oh, who's going to carry the, carry the torch? And he begins to think about this young protege of his own, a, a Timothy, this young man that he's poured into, and, and, he, and he sits to write this letter to, to pour out his heart to him, knowing it may be kind of his last words. The letter we're going to look at today, it, it was in your chapter, is Second Timothy. He wrote an earlier one to this young man as well. There, written in the shadow of the gallows, 
2 Timothy. When, when you're writing last words, those last words often have a kind of depth to them, don't they? they have, when you know that these are your last words, well, you measure and weigh those words, and they come out with more gravity. And, and so that's what's happening here as we, as we look at this. And, and you look at the life of Paul. He's wanting Timothy to make it like he had. Paul was a guy who was fearless in death and faithful in life. Faithful in his living and fearless in his death. If you look at your life, it's worth asking, you know, is that the way I'm living? Am I faithful in all things to the Lord in the way I'm living? Is the path I'm on that path is the path I'm on going to lead me to the place where I will one day be fearless in my death and, and Paul is wanting to, to pass on this this thing that has happened for him that 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 he's been able to be faithful in life and fearless in death and and he wants to pass this on not just to Timothy but not all of us let me ask you another question do you, do you ever feel like quitting if the, if the Christian life were a race, you ever feel like uh, quitting? Giving in? A fr- friend Matt ha- had, a, had a buddy on his track team in high school by the name of Jake. They called him Big Jake because he was huge, big guy, uh, way bigger than everybody else. He was kind of one of those kids that starts shaving in about fifth grade, you know, kid who has muscles and places that I don't even have places. Uh, Jake was there and he was a shot putter on the team and and they had a track meet coming up and uh, for this track meet, uh, they had an extra spot in the mile race and Jake says, I'll do it. And and everyone was surprised because they'd never seen Jake run even one lap, you know, but uh, coach said he's a senior, why not? So they they allow him to to race in there. So race day comes, there's 11 skinny kids and one big hulking adult sized kid, Jake, at the starting line. They start to they start to race and he takes off like a deer or more like a buffalo maybe and he's he's sprinting around that first turn and he's way out in front of everyone chugging like a locomotive you know just hoof, hoof, hoof. Um, but but as soon as they come around one lap and, and get into the second you can predict what happens he, he slows way down and people start to pass him and pretty soon he's in dead last accent on the word dead uh, he is he's running on fumes and every uh, bulging muscle in his body is screaming for him to quit. And as he comes around the last turn, that's exactly what he does. He quits. And he's in pain, bending over, heaving, sucking wind, grabbing his knees, and uh, stands up finally with a grimace on his face and just quietly walks off the track. Jake never finished that race, even though he started strong. And we're kind of all familiar with that syndrome in life. Seen it in others Maybe seen it in ourselves sometimes. The Big Jake principle. It's not how you start the race that matters, is it? It's how you finish. It's whether you finish. If the Christian life is a race, it's not how you start, it's it's how you finish. It's that you finish. You ever feel like quitting? Paul knows that everybody, if you're honest, feels like quitting sometimes. 
And Paul has lived faithfully and now he's going to die fearlessly and he wants to say to us, he's putting on a clinic for how to do this and he wants to say, don't quit, you hang in. And, and, and these are some of his words. He says, for I, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time, for my, the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I've kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness with the, which the Lord, the righteous judge, not like the judge he's getting ready to see in Rome, but the Lord, the righteous judge, is going to award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. He loops Timothy and all of us in together in this great hope of living faithfully and dying fearlessly. And he talks about a finish line faith. And we want to talk about a finish line faith today because uh, can anyone agree with me that living for God, life on earth, first of all, just no matter who you are, is not always easy. But living for God especially has its challenges. Anyone, has anyone been a Christian for more than five minutes? If you have been, then you know living for God can be hard. You may not be a believer yet. You, you may be all kind of investigating this whole Christian thing. Well, what you're going to hear today is that all, all, of the, all of the stuff about life being hard doesn't go away after you follow Christ, if that's what you thought it was about. You, you, you're all familiar with one of these, right? You know, you just... That was easy. And, and you just, you know, whatever you need, you just kind of push the easy button and, and it all gets easier, right? So, hey, I'm out of paper. You know, it just, oh, there it is, a whole new ream. I, I don't, my computer's not working. I need a that new laptop. Easy. Oh, there you go. And, and we begin to think sometimes that the Christian life, when we get baptized, we ought to, you know, come up out of the baptistry and Jesus hands us one of these. So that, so that now that I'm a Christian, you know, hey, hard time paying the bills? That was easy. Yeah, it's just easy now that I'm a Christian, right? My, my boss is a jerk? Oh, he's now he's Mr. Rogers. You know? Uh, what, 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 a powerful temptation I was facing before I, I, I became a Christian. Now, now, oh, that was easy. Now that's gone too. It doesn't, it doesn't actually work that way. Instead of an easy button, what Jesus does give us are, are these words. He says, in this world you will have trouble. Paul says in, in, in Acts 14, he says, you're going to go through many hardships. Peter says, don't be surprised when you have painful trials and suffering. And I think this is the norm, he says. So, so the Christian life... Is difficult for, for, for this young man, Timothy. He did not have an easy button. Um, about 15 years earlier, Paul was on one of his missionary journeys, probably through a place called Lystra, and, and saw this young man that everybody was talking about and spoken well of. And, 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 and Paul says, would you like to just come with me on this journey? And Timothy follows Christ, follows Paul, and so they become very close, like a father figure, the son that, that he never had to Paul. And for Timothy, Paul was his spiritual father. And, and Paul had worked so hard in establishing the church in Ephesus, and he puts Timothy over that church, but there's problems there. There's divisiveness and false teaching and materialism and, and all of this stuff going on. And so this young Timothy has his hands full. He's overwhelmed. He's got no easy button. He's young. He, he's, he's a little sickly, it appears. He's drinking too much of the water. He's a little timid by his personality. And, and so we get the idea that Timothy's about ready to walk off the track and and Paul has a word for him that he's going to share with us and Timothy Paul had no easy button either if you know anything about the life of Paul you know he had an extremely difficult uh, stretch he spent half of his life in prison and when he wasn't in prison he was in a shipwreck or or getting beaten up or flogged or stoned or left for dead and falsely accused he spent so much time in prison you could say Paul was in the stocks and bonds 
Anyway, as he sends to Timothy, he says in 2 Timothy 1, verse 15, he says, Everyone over there in the province of Asia has deserted me. And he names them Phygelus and Hermogenes, people he poured his life into. Sometimes you feel like you're finally making progress and then you take a step back and so he's feeling deserted, abandoned, discouraged himself. He's got no easy button. and So we can relate to these guys, can't we? If you've ever felt discouraged, if you've ever struggled to get free of a sinful habit, some part of your character that seems to be wedded in so deeply, you're disappointed that you're still dealing with it all these years later. Or if you've ever ached through a conflict that you'd hoped would resolve more peaceably, but... It didn't, and now you're living with the pain of unreconciled, maybe irreconcilable differences. Or if you've ever lost friendships, some of us have, because people don't know what to do with the fact that you're following Christ or you're involved with this crazy church called Mountain. Or if you've prayed hard for someone to be healed and it doesn't appear that those prayers are going to be answered in the way that you'd hoped. Or maybe on Mother's Day, You'd, you'd love to be one of those happy moms, but it hasn't happened for you. Or some other personal reason. Through defeat and fatigue and sorrow and disappointment, discouragement, rejection, temptation, pain, there's no easy button that sort of makes all that go away. And sometimes the truth is, even if we start strong or have good moments in the race, there are other times when... You know, it just feels like it might be easier to quit. And so old Paul is sitting there in a dungeon, dark, cold, hungry, doesn't have his coat, doesn't have his books, but that flame is burning inside of him. And he is still faithful in living, and he is fearless in dying, and he takes pen to paper to tell you and me and Timothy and anyone else who will listen some things about how to stay in there and keep running and have a finish line faith. He tells us some places to draw strength from. He's going to tell us three directions to look. And if that's your interest, you want to live faithfully for God, you want to die fearlessly, you want to have finish line faith, then you'll do well to listen to Paul today. Here's what he's going to say. The first thing he says is look back. When you're all surrounded with all this stuff and you don't know what to do, the first thing you do, he says, just collect your head and look back and you're going to draw strength from your past. No matter who you are, there is someone, if you are a, if you are a follower of Christ, there is someone who has put a deposit of faith in you. They may not have been perfect, but they, they helped you get on your feet spiritually and whoever that is look back to them that group of people that person and draw strength from them they're counting on you that's the way it was for this young man who was overwhelmed and discouraged Paul says look back remember your heritage and the faith and for Timothy a big part of that was his mom and his grandma appropriate for Mother's Day huh second Timothy Chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, Paul says to him, Timothy, I've been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother, Lois. He knew her. And, and your mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded now also lives in you. They, they put a spark in you, a spiritual spark, Timothy. And he says, for this reason, I want to remind you right now, fan that flame into full force. Fan that flame little girl came timidly up to her mom and says, Mom, you remember that blue vase we had in the other room? And mom says, Oh, yeah, you know, I know, the one that's been handed down to me from generation to generation. And the little girl says, Yeah, well, this generation just dropped it. <laughs> Paul is saying, 
Timothy, don't you be the generation to drop it. And God's word is saying to you and to me, don't you be the one to drop it. The ones behind you are counting on you. And he lists those people for Timothy. He names them, his mom and grandma. And I bet, I bet he had in mind these, these women who, according to Paul, didn't just feed them mashed potatoes and, and, and squished up peas and milk. They, they fed them on the Word of God from the time he was an infant. Did he, did he see in his mind then his mom on her knees praying by the bedside? Did he hear his grandma's raspy voice as she told him about the heroes of the faith? You know, David and Abraham and Moses. When you look back, it can help you today. So you need to think about who's part of your spiritual heritage. Anyone who's played a, a role in planting a seed, putting a deposit in you, look back on them. They don't have to have been flawless to encourage you today. You know, on Mother's Day, there's a, there's a number of us, myself included, who can say with great joy that our mothers did play a hugely important spiritual role in our lives. You know, the NFL draft was this week. I don't know if you follow the pro football thing, um, but uh, it's where they, you know, they draft up these players out of college for the pros. And there's this young man out of, who grew up in Miami, poor, play, poor, poor section of town in Miami, grew up there, went to college in Louisville, and this week was drafted in the first round. His name is Teddy Bridgewater, and he's a very special young man. He was drafted in the first round. Do you know who got him? As a, he's a quarterback. you know who picked him up? Well, yeah, it's funny you mentioned it. The Minnesota Vikings did. Yeah, and let me tell you what. The best part about this kid is not his arm. It's his heart and his faith and his mom. And he tells this great story of, of how she taught him and prayed for him. And through her cancer, they learned to fight for, for everything together. I, I've cobbled together a few, uh, our video team cobbled together a few uh, short sections. I want you to watch this and see what role a mom can play in a young man's life. My mom has been praying for me since I started playing sports. You know, not only in football, but every baseball game, basketball game, she would just pray. My mom, she's a God-fearing woman. I remember with, um, with Teddy Bridgewater, Teddy's mom um, was the Christian backbone of that family, and, and her being in Miami and Teddy being in Louisville, um, there's, a, there's a long distance um, between the two. So I remember getting many calls from um, Rose Murphy and um, one in particular, she asked me, she said, look, I've always prayed for Teddy every game, and I'm not going to be able to be at this game. Um, would you mind doing me a favor? And I said, absolutely, I'd love to do it. And she said, would you tell Teddy to come down and meet you in the lobby and him sit in a chair and say, you're going to pray over him. And what I do basically is I just touch Teddy's head and I pray that he would have the mind of Christ, that he would be a leader of Jesus. Will you touch his hands? and say, will you use his hands to bring glory to your name? Will you touch his knees and pray over his knees and say, will you keep his knees safe only that he can use his athletic ability as a platform to share Jesus? Would you touch his feet and pray that everywhere he goes, will he be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And um, I said, yes, ma'am, I will do that. And sure enough, I asked Teddy if he would come down. And as he came down, I, I just sat in a chair and Teddy knew exactly what to do. He sat down in the chair because he had done it many times. He sat down in the chair. He bowed his head. He held out his hands. And, um, and I listened to the request. I just prayed and prayed for him. And it was a, it was a turning moment in my life because now um, I realize that, that these athletes come from Christian homes. 
And what these Christian families want is they just want these principles and these um, these Christian guidelines to be continued when they go to college. We come before you with thanksgiving in our heart. We just thank you right now for what you're doing. We thank you for what you've already done. And we say thank you, thank you, thank you, amen. Amen. But I told him, you know, you have to fight. It was a fight for all of us, though. We would relate a football situation to life, you know, because we all were taught, you know, football was the game of life. You have to be mentally tough because you have to be able to bounce right back up once you hit and just show that that hit didn't phase you. Your fight, your courage, it all stands out to me. And I just thank you for that. Thank you for the many sacrifices that you've made, not only me, for this entire family. I just thank you for being the strong woman that you are. And I love you. <laughs> I love you so much. Thank you. All right, so now you're all Vikings fans. Mom, moms, you do whatever you can. You do all you can to shape the heart of the children that have in, you have influence over to be like the heart of Jesus. You pray with them, you pray for them, you bring them here, you lead in every way you can. Timothy ended up leading that church in Ephesus for 30 years. And it was because of the words of Paul and the seeds that were planted by his mother and grandmother. And, and if you are one like me who has a mom to thank for any role that she's played, you know, she's probably not perfect, I'm just guessing, but if she played a role in your spiritual upbringing, you thank her. If she's alive and you're blessed enough to do that. And thank God. Now some of us, maybe this is difficult because you, you don't have that. You, you, your mom doesn't fit this description at all. But I want to remind you what Paul's words are, to, to look back and to... to to remember, if it's not your mother, then who is it? And to be grateful and let them inspire you today. Look back and they'll inspire you. For me, I have a list of people that have had big influence on me. And I, and I list those people. Who are they? Who's on your list? Hebrews 12 reminds us that all of us have a huge crowd of witnesses. When you join the team of Jesus, instantly you have all these people who are for you. And as you run your race of faith, the Bible says they're in the grandstand surrounding you. And as you run, when you're getting tired, they're cheering you on and they say, we ran the race of faith. You can too. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with what? Perseverance, the race marked out for us. Keep running, don't quit. We did it, you can too. Everybody has that cloud of witnesses, whoever it may be in your life. So look back, draw strength. Next thing Paul says is, he says, look up. Look up, remind yourself that... that you're not alone. God is with you. You have the presence of Jesus Himself, the accompaniment of His Spirit. When you're going through a tough time, and there's no easy button in sight, remember that God is with you. The very next verse in that Hebrews 12 thing says in verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Look up. Remember, He's there. I have a friend, a friend to a lot of us actually, here at Mountains, going through some tough times right now with chemo and some setbacks she's having. 
In our Caring Bridge site, I found myself posting this scripture. It's important for all of us. Out of, out of Psalm 46, verse 1, here's what it says. God is our refuge. Sometimes you just need a place to run and hide. A safe, protective place. God's like that. He's our refuge and He's our strength when you're weak and you feel like you're going to double over on the track. And He's an ever-present help. He's not like, I'll, I'll, I'll make an appointment with you next Tuesday. He's ever-present. And so therefore, don't fear. Some of us need those words today. A lot of you remember the 1992 uh, Olympic Games in Barcelona. You might recall that there was a favorite in the 400-meter race by the name of Derek Redmond, a, a sprinter out of uh, a Great Britain. And uh, the day of that 400-meter race came, and uh, as the gun sounded, he got out to a nice lead. Uh, but about 175 meters left in the race, he pulls up and clutches at his his leg back here, he's pulled his hamstring and he's grimacing in pain and he falls in a heap on the track. Here, here's, a, here's a picture of that moment. You, you can just see the physical pain but the emotional devastation that he's not going to be able, his dream is over. Well, the next thing you know, he's up and he's hobbling down the track and then hopping on one foot, crying his eyes out and, and, uh, and hobbling. It's a very moving moment. Crowd, of course, did what any of us might do. They stand to their feet and now they're cheering and applauding this guy hopping down the track. And then what happens is this figure from behind him comes up, running toward him. And it's it's his father, Jim Redmond, who from the top row had worked his way down, jumped the rail, busted past security, would not be stopped out there on the track and puts his arm around his son. Here's a picture of that moment. When his son realizes it's his father, he just puts his head on his shoulder and as they're hobbling and hopping down there, he begins to just sob. And now the crowd is on its feet and before 65,000 people cheering and applauding them, Father and son crossed the finish line and he finished his race. And I love that story because of the truth that I sense in it, the truth that I believe the scriptures would want you to know about your own life, that you have also a father who sees you when you're struggling, who knows when all you can do is hobble, who knows when you're hurting and it's hard and He will come alongside you and will help you so that together you will finish your race. And anyone who finishes the race with God is a winner, is a victor in Christ. And so when you feel like giving in, you can go on instead by looking up and remember you're not alone because all of us have those Derek Redmond moments where it seems like hopes are dashed, future is grim, things are uncertain, all you can do is hobble, whether it's your marriage, your school, the world, your health, I don't know. But your Father is with you and He busts up next to us, puts His arm around us and hoists us and helps us do what we cannot do. We, we are borne up like on eagles' wings. So be strong, don't quit, look up. I am with you. Looking back to strength from those who've deposited in you, looking up to the Father who's with us always. Paul says also, remember to look ahead. Always press toward the finish line. Don't, don't, don't get discouraged. You look ahead and you persevere under pressure. 2 Timothy 2.1, he says, Timothy, you be strong. You be strong. But then notice he says, be strong in the grace 
that is in Christ. I love that because sometimes if we think the goal is to just be strong in our own strength, well, that's exactly why we can't do it. That's why we feel like quitting because our own strength isn't enough. But he's saying, no, 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 Timothy, you be strong and God will give you the grace. Paul was one who said, in my weakness, I'm strong. It's because I acknowledge that I can't then I am strong and His grace is enough for me. And it's the same for you. It's the same for Timothy. Paul says, don't quit. Over in chapter 3, he says to Timothy, Timothy, you know all about my life. Look, at you know my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience. You've seen my faith. You've seen my love, my endurance, my persecution, suffering. You know all that stuff, that bad stuff happened to me over there in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and persecutions. I endured. You know all that. And then he says this, but Timothy, you also know how the Lord rescued me from all that. That wasn't me, see? And in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus is going to be persecuted, but you just keep looking ahead and you stand up under pressure. He gives three word pictures that I think can really be an encouragement to us. In chapter 2, he kind of wants to hang three mental images on the gallery of your brain and your heart. Let me give them to you. And you just let them anchor there as an encouragement to press on and persevere. Number one, he says, endure like a good soldier. Endure like a good soldier. Verse 3 of chapter 2. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier in Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Paul knew soldiers. He spent most of his life next to one, chained up to one. He'd seen them. He, in those days, Roman soldiers were, were the epitome of dedication and perseverance. They, they took a 20-year hitch. They weren't allowed to get married. Most of them didn't live to retirement. It was that difficult. It, it was a big deal. And they were to, uh, I, I, the one I think of, when Mount Vesuvius erupted, that huge volcano in, in A.D. 79, a thousand years later, they, found, they kept finding these people in these digs that were buried in their frozen moment of terror when the lava and the ash came and buried them and, and froze them down there in that fiery rain. And one guy they found was a Roman soldier, a sentinel, found at the city gate. His captain had ordered him to be there. He still has his weapon gripped in his hands frozen in that moment because even though lava was coming down on him he was not going to abandon his post faithful until death and Paul says follow Jesus like that train like a good athlete he says train like a good athlete second Timothy 2 5 similarly if anyone competes as an athlete he does not achieve the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules Paul was a huge sports fan. He's always talking about sports, boxing, chariot races, wrestling, running. He, he loves sports. But he says here, according to the rules, he's talking about the oath that an Olympic athlete would take to say, I'm going to train hard for a year before I compete in the games. And, and Paul's pointing out that if you want to be an athlete and get the crown, you're going to have to put up with some hardship. You're going to have to play hurt. You're going to have to push through a little bit of difficulty. It's the same for athletes today. This is why Michael Phelps signed up for more. He wants more medals, but he knows he's going to have more pain to get there. Hardship's part of the package. Sometimes you've got to play hurt. Muhammad Ali, I'll never forget it, fighting Ken Nort, gets his jaw broken in the first round, fights 10 more rounds and finishes that boxing match. I remember watching that as a kid. I, how many of you remember 1997? Michael Jordan, one of the great athletes of all time, 1997 NBA Finals. He's sicker than a dog. He's got a severe case of the flu. He can barely stand up. He looks like death warmed over, but he, he shot for 38 points, including the game-winning basket. It's that kind of stuff. The Carrie Strug moment with the 1996 Olympic. She has a sprained ankle, but she does that one last perfect thing on the vault, and we can, we can see her there helping win the gold medal. Expect some hardship. You've got to play hurt. You've got to train hard. 
It's not always going to be easy, but it's worth it in the end. Jesus, Paul says, follow Jesus like that. And then he says, work like a good farmer. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of crops. The first to receive a share of crops. I grew up in southern Minnesota, so I have a deep appreciation for my farmer friends and the hard work they put in. But I'm remembering here that Paul is talking about farming before air-conditioned tractor cabs and combines and hydraulic lifts and automatic milkers. He's talking about the hard-working sweat and bulging muscles and straining exertion and exhaustion that's associated with farming. And unlike athletes and soldiers, there's never an award, there's never a medal, no glamour or applause. You just work your, your buns off and you know that the, the harvest is coming and, and, and that's satisfaction enough for you. And, and, and Paul says, live for Jesus like that. Endure like a good soldier. Train like a good athlete. Work like a good farmer. Does that describe how you're living for Jesus. If you want to live faithfully and you want to die fearlessly, this is, this is Paul holding us out, saying this is, this is how it is. And then Paul himself says in verse 6 of chapter 4, he says, okay, so I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure has come. A drink offering, he was drawing from a couple images there. One of them what was was in the, the Romans when they had these big ceremonies. They'd have these uh, banquets and so forth. And then afterwards they'd have this ritual, the symbolic pouring out of some wine as an offering to the Roman gods. And they'd make sure every last drop went out to show their complete devotion. And Paul's saying, I'm not pouring out my life to any ancient god or any Roman anything. I know I'm in a Roman prison, but I'm pouring my life out for the one who poured his life out for me, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm being poured out like a drink offering right before the Lord. You're pouring your life out to someone, my friend. Everyone is. There won't be anything left of you when you're done. Paul says, pour it out for the Lord Jesus. It's so interesting to me because he's living at the same time as Nero. Nero is, is, the, is the emperor. Did you know that they overlapped? So he's in prison. Nero is the one who's running around killing Christians and and uh, uh, young, flamboyant leader. Everybody was so impressed with Nero. He, was, uh, he built this 120-foot colossus, they called it, a big statue of himself. And everyone was you know, so impressed. He was, no one was more impressed with him than, than he was. And, and, and yet you've got this Paul in a dungeon, bow-legged, big-nosed, you know, unibrow, ugly guy with scar scars all over his back. Quite a contrast. If you'd said, who's most likely to succeed, Nero or Paul, everyone would have said, Paul who? And yet, Paul knows. You just look back, you look up, and you look ahead. You pour yourself out like a drink offering. However difficult life can be, I'm going to win the race. I'm going to win this race. I don't care how strong it may look like he's starting. Friends, and, and that, that's the truth, isn't it? I mean... I've read a lot of stuff by Paul even recently. Anyone ever read anything by Nero? A lot of basilicas all over the world in, in the name of Paul. Anybody ever seen anything to this day built in the name of Nero? <laughs> we name our children after Paul, Pauline, Paul, Paula. We name our dogs after Nero. What a picture. Paul says, my departure is coming. My time is at hand. That word departure is a, a nautical word. It means to hoist anchor and set sail. Time for my departure is coming. I'm about ready to set sail. Isn't that beautiful? That's what he says is awaiting all of us. 
You can launch out into the great deep of all. You're about, when your time comes, you can cross over the waters of death and arrive at a safe harbor of heaven. That's what it, when you die, it doesn't mean the end. It means you can cut loose from this and get over to where you belong. And you're going to wear a crown there. You ask anyone back then, they wouldn't have believed anyway. They would have said, you know, it was said, Nero's the hero and Paul's a zero. But now look at things. Four years after that, Paul was, Paul was executed. Four years later, the great Nero was so despondent and depressed and distraught and paranoid and lonely. His second wife had murdered his first wife and then he kicked that second wife in the belly when killed her pregnant killed the pregnant she was pregnant and killed her and the and the baby and then he castrated some guy married him and he was just so messed up and screwed up by the end of his life he goes to an apartment and he hangs himself and and the historians say the people in the streets cheered and Paul says I finished the race and I have waiting for me a righteous judge who will say well done good and faithful servant and you can have that promise too. When, when, I, when we were dating, Carl and I, I was kind of in charge of the dates a lot of times. I'd decide ahead of time what we were going to do. I was pretty good at that. I'd like to be in charge. So uh, one time we went to Itasca State Park uh, with my cousin Phil and his wife, Lori. And uh, they had these little bikes you could rent. And then they, they had tandems. I thought, well, that's be fun. Let's try that. You know, the bicycle build for two. So we did that. We got on these things. I actually got a picture of it here from way back in the day. Um, yeah, there, there, there we are. Carla's in the pink there. That's me, the bulging muscles, and uh, not the short shorts on the right. That's my cousin. Uh, so we go riding around there. But I made a tactical error when we first got on the bikes. I, I let her get in front. You know what I'm talking about here. The, fir the person in the front gets to steer, gets to decide where you're going to go and call the shots and determine the direction. So I, I'm I, can, I can express my desires. I can make a suggestion. But that's, that's about all you can do back there. And so Carla's up there. She's going wherever she wants to go. She, I say, why don't we go over there? She says, no, we're going to go over here. I said, well, what, 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 about, what about this? And if we turned over there, why don't you, why don't you do it? And she, she eventually she just kept turning and saying the same thing. Why don't you just keep pedaling? Keep pedaling. She was having a great time. It was a little bit difficult, challenging for me, uh, but a great memory because even though I was following, we worked together as a team and it was a great moment of uh, trusting and arriving there as a team. And, you know, the Apostle Paul is telling us the same thing right here, friends, about our own lives. Here's a guy who would let the Holy Spirit drive and steer him all over the known world. And he's saying, you need to do, you need to do that too. You need to do that too. Take the back seat, let him determine where your life is going to go. And when you get in doubt and you feel like God is leading you someplace that's hard, when there's no easy button, when you're struggling, you're going to hear a voice. It's going to just keep telling you, keep pedaling. You just keep pedaling. Let, let God lead you where he's going to lead you. And he will bring you home across the finish line. And you will be a victor and you will finish fearlessly. Let's pray. God, we thank you and praise you for the hope of finish line faith in our lives, not on our own strength, but on your grace. We pray that you'll help us to keep pedaling and to follow your lead and to trust you and give you the, give you the driver's seat.
And we thank you that whatever cost we count and pour out for you, that it's all worth it. We pray in Jesus' name.